Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. So what do you think people are looking for? Every year as we leave one year in the rearview mirror and start a new one, we have this exercise where we kind of find out what people are looking for. We do what's called a year in review. Whether you do it formally and write one down or you search some online, that's exactly what I did this past week. It actually found out what people have been literally searching for the most on Google search, the Google search engine. And that list had things like hurricanes, Irma, and Harvey. No surprise. A Las Vegas shooting, Floyd Mayweather versus McGregor fight, a solar eclipse, Matt Lauer, Tom Petty, and kids, you're going to love this one, fidget spinners. Made the top 10. And as you consider that list of things that people have been searching for, would you say that this last year in 2017, that, that really would kind of sum up the things that you yourself have been looking for? Some of you adults, closet fidget spinners, that's okay, you can admit it. You might think, well, no, I wasn't really after those things. At least that's not the most significant searching things in my, there are things that I search for most significantly in my life. But I would say that there's a lot more to that top 10 list than you might suggest. Think about it. People search for things like Hurricane Irma and Harvey, not just because they want to know the path or the latest on the devastation, but because things like Natural disasters and calamity cause us to want to know more, and they raise a whole host of questions about the brokenness of this world, just naturally speaking. People search about mass shootings, whether in Las Vegas or in Texas, not just because we want to learn, but because we wonder what is so wrong with some people, yes, but even just mankind as we see wreckage happening all over in ways severe and drastic and maybe not as much, but it's still all broken, still the same. We know that there is a day that's coming when the sun is not just going to be shut out for a moment, briefly, but for all eternity. And then what comes? We, we know that when our, our children are fidgeting with something that spins or otherwise, and we look at the naive condition in which they live, what the year in reviews are going to be like a generation or two from now. What's the world going to be like for them when they're in our shoes if the world lasts that long? I kind of made a lot of that year in review, didn't I? But I think you can understand that there's good reason for it. See, each of the things, the topics, the issues that happen, even from icons themselves, and we don't just wonder what Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were doing way back when, but what was his life really about? Where did he find meaning and purpose? Everything that we search for, everything that we look back on in even just one year, is really just a microcosm of what people are looking for at any age and any year. I would even dare say to you that it's emblematic of what people have always been searching for, whether it's 2017 or 1017 or before we were even doing this numbering thing, B.C., A.D., and that certainly includes when B.C. and A.D. collided, too. People searching for questions about purpose and meaning and validation and status and answers to death and the guilt that they feel and shame and the brokenness in this world and where they might stand before God and who is this God anyways. People have been asking these questions and searching and searching and in many of the places they're searching are wrong. Well, these wise men were certainly searching, weren't they? 
I mean, this is quite a pursuit. This is quite a quest when you think about getting prominent men like this with such extravagant gifts to travel that long and that far for what? And yet of all the things that people say that we think we know about the wise men, there is a whole host of things that we just really don't know. And that better sets us on the right course of what they were after. So what is it that we don't know? We don't know how many wise men there were. Most people think three. Why? Because there were three gifts. Therefore, only one guy could carry one box each. So it had to be three, three guys. Thank you to the greeting cards and all, and all of the manger scenes. But odds are there was a lot more than that. When you think about carrying extravagant gifts and they had to go through the wilderness and there's a whole lot of burglars, the whole parable of the Good Samaritan where there was a burglar, that was a common thing in, in Jesus' day, just as it still is today. There was a lot more. You even see that in our lesson when they come into Jerusalem and they start asking where this king of the Jews is. Not only is King Herod disturbed, but it says, all Jerusalem along with him. This would have created a huge hubbub. This wasn't three dudes with shiny hats and pretty boxes entering in the side gate. This was a lot of people, a huge caravan that came in, and it was noticeable. One commentator said that it would have been more like them worrying if there is a declaration of war than just these guys sneaking in unnoticed. How true that is, again, we don't really know. We don't know how many they, there were. We don't know exactly when they came. All we know is that the star appeared around the time of Jesus' birth, and then, and then they came. They tell Herod the specific time when the star appeared, we see in our lesson, but, but we don't know when. We do know, though, that they weren't at the manger scene. Again, I'm sorry if your manger scenes are now kind of destroyed, but next time when you set them up, just set the wise men off to the side a little bit. They didn't come to the manger. How do we know this? Well, the star went ahead and it took them to the house where the child was. This could have been a month couple months, several months, maybe up to a year after Jesus had been born. All we know is that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are still in Bethlehem, and that's where they find Jesus, these wise men. We also don't really know what exact, or where they came from. I should start here. We know that gold was valuable everywhere, but incense and myrrh were pretty popular from the region of Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, Babylon, what later became Persia, and there's pretty good reason to think that they came from this area because the first time that we hear about the Magi is in the second chapter of Daniel. Babylon came over and destroyed the promised land just as God promised and they carried off the best and brightest Israelites to be part of the service to Babylon. And among those best and brightest were people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those guys that were thrown into the fiery furnace, remember? And not only were they just part of this council, so to speak, this board of wise guys, but Daniel, we learned, was the leader. And we don't know a whole lot about what these guys did, but we know some things. That these wise men, they studied culture throughout the world. They studied world religions and world ideologies. They studied what the celestial beings were doing. They were astronomers, but they were also astrologers in that they attempted to study the star's impact on people. Think of them as like the president's cabinet, but instead of talking about how big their buttons are in relation to other countries, they're talking about omens and the future and dreams and the stars and constellations and things like that. Finally, we don't really know what they knew, but we kind of have maybe some good assumptions. You see, we ask the question, how did they know that star equals king of the Jews in this region? How did they know that? 
Well, they probably had to know something ahead of time, or God could have just revealed it to them out of the blue, which is certainly plausible. But there's some good Bible history evidence here, too. You see the prophecy that we read in Numbers 24? That was spoken and recorded by Moses, who lived in 1500 B.C., Well, in 500 B.C., a thousand years later, that was when Daniel was over there. Remember, we said he was the one in charge of the the Magi, the, the wise men. He was in control of this committee, so to speak. So think about this. When they all got together and were talking about world religions and ideologies, do you think the chair of that committee, Daniel, you think he had something to say about the religion of the God of the Jews? The promises that God had made from of old and something that had to do with the star? Certainly, this is miraculous, but I think that's more than likely. And yet, of all the things that we don't know, because most concerning the wise men is stuff that we don't know, there, are, there is really just one thing that we do know. That they were in hot pursuit of this king of the Jews. Can you imagine the expense of this journey? I mean, this wasn't just an overnight trip. This would have taken them a long time, hundreds of miles, exorbitant expense, especially if they're bringing servants and guards, and these guys were like kings according to their wealth. And they were bringing these expensive gifts. They didn't know who he really was, where exactly they would find him, and what this king would be like, but still, they are on a quest to find that which is rare, to find that which is significant, to really come to, well, an answer to a whole lot of questions that they had had, prophecies that had been lingering in this think tank in Babylon for hundreds of years, and undoubtedly a whole lot of other questions that they had too. What does this king have to say about, about the world is, since this is coming to pass and the star is actually happening? Does he have answers to other things, like maybe the things that are going on inside my life and my head and my heart? Questions that, well, not just wise men have, but every single person has. And then they show up. And what always gets me is what you don't hear about and what you don't see in this account. Where is everybody else? The wise men spend a ton of time traveling from Babylon, most likely, to see this king of the Jews. And the guys who are in Jerusalem who have the prophet Micah in their back pocket, who know in Micah 5 it says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, they know the Savior's going to be born there. They don't even take an afternoon to go and check it out? I mean, from Zechariah's son that was born, John, Zechariah was a priest, certainly some popularity there. Did people hear about John and how that was connected to the the birth of this other child? There's this earth-shattering news among the shepherds, the song of Simeon, the accolades of Anna, and now these people come in and cause all of Jerusalem to be concerned, and it's all about the same child. Do Do you think that some people had to have known I mean, what kind of excuses can we give them? Is it, well, reasonably speaking, historically, we should, we should say, well, granted, there were a lot of pretender messiahs at this time. Yeah, but there wasn't this much evidence. Sure, it, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And I really would like to say that they should have known a whole lot more. And they should have done a whole lot more. Whether or not they did know as much as I think that they did is maybe irrelevant, but still, they had the prophets. Over 530 promises in the Old Testament that all pointed to this child. And there's all of these things happening in a short amount of time, and they don't even bother to go, look? I mean, think of this. The wise men travel hundreds of miles, and and these guys, these teachers of the law, 
who have the Old Testament in their back pocket, so to speak, they don't even want to make a five-mile hike down the hill to Bethlehem to just, I don't know, enjoy the scenery and maybe see if there's something to this? Where is everybody? We don't know if Bethlehem is all surrounding the child, too. We don't hear anything about that, but all we hear is that there's a child and his mother in this house, and that's where the wise men find him. I don't know where everybody else is, but by the actions, or dare I say, inaction of the teachers of the law, I might suggest that their, well, their lack of attendance is at least due to a lack of attention. And you know, if you and I are honest, I think you and I have to admit that as we look at these wise men, we could probably come to some very sobering and introspective comparisons in addition. For example, you consider the amount of time and energy that it took for these wise men simply to come and see the Savior based on the little that they know. And how many times do I look at my calendar and the schedules that I have through the day, a single afternoon or even throughout the weekend, and I can easily come up with a whole host of excuses not to visit my Savior in his word, and there's a whole lot more that I know. And maybe you do too. Consider what they were willing to do effort-wise. Simply to find a Savior, they didn't know who he was, what exactly he was like. They just knew that they were coming to find the one who was born King of the Jews. They were going to set aside their work and their lives for months at least for this. And, and as you and I consider our schedules so much of rest and recreation, and yes, our work lives become a priority instead of the thing that comes after our relationship with God. I, I even look at the gifts. I mean, these are gifts worthy of a king. Even if someone would say, well, that's relative to their riches. No, these were ridiculously extravagant gifts that they gave to this child born king of the Jews. And when you and I consider the gifts that we are able to give, are they gifts worthy of a king or are they often leftovers after we've kind of made sure we have our own comfort, our own kingdom, so to speak? My friends, please don't misunderstand me. We do not know exactly what these wise men believed either. For all we know, they were pagans and this was one of several gods or religious figures that they worshipped. All we know is that they, when they approached this king, they bowed down and they worshipped him. And for all that we don't know about them, we certainly know a lot about ourselves. And what I really want you to consider, not just in a 2017 year in review, but an entire life review, is that it's not really about the metrics, so to speak, the ways that we measure our Christian lives. It's not about a percentage when it comes to your offering. It's about being connected to the Savior who motivates you to give out of love, whatever that gift is going to be. It's about being connected to the Savior who is your first and foremost priority. And work is not your crutch. That's a choice that you make. Work is not your excuse to escape from your relationship with your Savior. That's a choice you make. And so the relationship that we have with our God, if, that, if he's really not just king of the Jews, but king of kings and lord of lords, well, then that should, be, that should come first and foremost, not just in a year, but in a lifetime, shouldn't it? It is not just about church attendance and however many Sundays out of the year you are here. It is about seeking the opportunities to be connected to our Savior and to receive him in word and sacrament, where he says, you get to receive the child Jesus. So the question of whether or not we would be in attendance to receive Jesus is a really odd one for the Christian. Not, not even because we don't have to travel thousands of miles or hundreds of miles and take months and it's only a 10-minute drive, but because of the gifts that God gives. 
Don't misunderstand me. It is not about numbers or attendance or things like that. It is about Jesus, the King of the Jews, and your King and Savior too, becoming just less significant. And all it takes is a week that becomes a month, that becomes a whole year, and then we look back and in review and wonder, where is our relationship with our Savior gone? Where is our pursuit of him been? Are we truly seeking him as we should? But you know the greatest pursuit in this lesson is not that you would wa- and I would walk away shamed for all the ways we have not pursued our Savior as we should. You want to know what the greatest quest in this lesson is? It's not the wise men. Think about it. Wise men show up and where's the star? It leads them to the vicinity and so they do the normal thing and go to the capital and talk to the king and the scribes and and then after God's word does what God's word always does and open hearts and minds and say it's in Bethlehem, then what happens? Then the star, by God's providential direction, goes over the exact place where the child was. In other words, God is controlling all things not only by the power of his word, but by the power of his control over the celestial beings themselves, he takes the wise men and he brings them to the feet of their savior. It is not about their pursuit of him. It is that all the while behind the scenes and sometimes right in front of their faces, God is pursuing them. And my friends, God has done nothing different for you. God has put people in your life who, as we said in the children's message, were like stars, and they still are. They've led you to the feet of your Savior, not to some house in Bethlehem, but to his holy and powerful word, where he says that wherever you are and wherever you read it and hear it, he's there with you. He's working in you, and he's strengthening you and preparing you for the day when you will see him face to face. Maybe it was a parent sat you on their lap, and you had devotions in God's word every night. Aren't they exactly like the star? Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher who faithfully prepared to show you Jesus. Maybe it was a pastor or a neighbor, a friend or a confidant, that that Christian confidant you could go to and they would always remind you that there is a Savior who is king over this problem just as he is king of the Jews, just as as he is king of the Gentiles, and all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Maybe they were like stars who simply encouraged you that the lifestyle that you were leading that was leading you away from him is is not the pathway that leads to the place where Jesus is. And then in repentance and with the help and the encouragement that they gave you, you were brought to the feet of your Savior. You were brought to the place where God promises to communicate his grace to you. With more validation than this world can give you, he put his name on you in your baptism. With greater notoriety than you could find in the fame and the fortune of this world, he says that he is dwelling inside of you and making you eternally valuable to our Father in heaven through the power of his word. Greater than any coping mechanism, greater than any year in review that you try to erase because the guilt haunts you and it keeps you awake at some nights, God tells you that when you receive the true body and blood of his Son and his supper, it forgives you of your sins. It assures you that you are his child. And it asserts to you that there is a place in heaven with your name on it. How important are these ways, these tools, we say, by which God strengthens your faith that he created and draws you closer and closer to your Savior until the day when you see him face to face. My friends, it is not about, 
your pursuit of Christ. If it were, then we as a Christian church become very me-centered and talking about how we measure the ways we pursue God. It is not about that, not even close in comparison to all of the ways that God has always been on a quest for you. So much so that he even tells you that he's been thinking about you since before he said, let there be light. What a loving God we have. There's a story of a child who wandered away from his mother in the grocery store. And parents, you've been there where all it took was a couple corners and then you can't see your child and you look around one of those corners and then your heart starts to panic and immediately you tell yourself, don't think of the worst case scenario and then what happens? All you can think about is the worst case scenario and then you start and the eyes are wide and you, whether it's happened to you, you've seen it in other parents too where all of a sudden you're, they're about to get whiplash because they're looking around every corner and they're trying to find their child. Well, this particular child wandered away, it was a couple corners and then the mom found, mom found little Johnny and let out a sigh of relief and then kind of just watched him and he was kind of looking around corners for mom too but he was pretty nonchalant and then little Johnny did what little Johnny did. He went to the fruit section because there, there were bananas there. True story. Little Johnny walked over and there were the bananas and then he was about to reach up and grab one, but then he remembered that, that his mom always gave him bananas. He didn't just take bananas. And then he started to think about mom. And then he started to wonder, where is mom? And mom was just watching him. And of course, as a little child does, in a moment of panic, he just dropped and he started screaming because he couldn't see mom anywhere. And he got up and he ran around the banana counter and he couldn't find mom and he started screaming. But all the while, where was mom? She was right there. Even though he was in search for her, still he wasn't going to find her and that wasn't as significant as to the fact that his mom was all the while there watching over him and she was the one who was after him and everything was okay. My friends, we're like little Johnny. We're looking for so many things that are emblematic of the things that only God can give. And when we're reaching and when we're searching, we remember that, man, finding value and success and fame and fortune really doesn't account to the blessings that only God can give. And in our search for, for God and all the things that only he can give, really, the greatest blessing God reminds you of on Epiphany is that the greatest pursuit is his pursuit for you. From the beginning of history, he has been aligning things so that you would come into contact with his grace and his power like a star would work in your life to lead you to the face of your Savior in his word and in his sacraments until the day when he sees you face to face. Therefore, my friends, as you and I pursue the Lord, knowing that he is first and foremost pursuing us, we can look back not just on 2018 or 2019 or 2020, but on a lifetime with thanks for all the ways that God has been after and equipping and strengthening us till we see him. May God grant that to you all. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kerbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us and may God bless your day.